Welcome to Passion Church. For more information about Passion Church, please visit us online at www.passionchurch.tv. Now let's join the service already in progress. One prayer. We're going to start that this morning. Um, Let me explain to you where we're headed with this. Um, One prayer. This is the premise of the the message series that we're going to be doing this month. Here's the premise. If If you knew ahead of time that God was going to answer one prayer... There was no doubt in your mind that he would answer one prayer for the church universal, not just Passion Church, but all the churches and all the Christians around America and the world. What would you pray? What would be the one thing that you would ask God to do? And we're joining forces this morning, uh, our arms, our hearts, our prayers. Check this out. Right now, all across the world, all the way from Egypt to Africa to Norman to Oklahoma City and all over America, right now there are uh, 1,265 churches. Just since Tuesday when I printed the program, it, it has jumped to 1,265 churches all across the world are doing the same thing we're doing this morning. Now that doesn't sound, maybe to you that doesn't sound that significant, but when you understand that that represents, those 1,265 churches represent 765. 5,000 Christians all locking arms and saying we're going to pray together. That is an incredible force and has significant uh, impact on the world. I believe it's going to. And so we're excited about this this morning. But that is the premise of this message series that we're starting today. What would you pray? What, What could happen if we all prayed the same thing? Instead of you praying, God, give me an Escalade. Or God give me a big house, or God give me the the right name brand of clothing, or right instead of this this month instead of you praying, God give me a raise, and we could all pray the same thing. What would happen? Now, so I begin to pray and say, God, what should I speak about? What is my one prayer? And I went through the list. I came up with a bunch of different things like, uh, God, make us one, because that's what Jesus prayed when he prayed. He said, God, just make us make them one as we are one. And so I started to preach about unity and I and I checked that one off, said no. And when it all came down, this is a no brainer for me. My one prayer this morning is this. Can you figure it out? Make us passionate. It's not hard to figure out, and and I'll explain why here in a second, but when I boil it all down to all the things that I could pray for all the churches in America and all the churches across the world and what I could pray for you, it all came down to this. I pray that God will make us passionate again. Our text this morning is Romans chapter 12, verse 11. I want to read it to you out of the NIV and out of the Message Bible. It simply says this. It says, never be lacking in zeal. But keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. In the Message Bible, it says it like this. Don't burn out. Keep yourselves fueled and aflame. Be alert servants of the Master. Make us passionate. Some of you have heard me talk about passion before. When we first began our church about eight or nine months ago, we gave out some CDs that had part of this message that I'm going to preach to you this morning. But I want to kind of revisit this concept, this idea, because I am convinced that of all the things that the church needs and all the things that Christians need, one of the major key elements that is missing in most churches and in most of our lives as Christians is passion. Most of us don't live life, much less abundant life, like Jesus promised us. You do realize that you have the honor and the privilege and the right to live an abundant life, don't you? 
You don't have to scrape by. You don't have to just barely get by by the hair of your chinny chin chin. You don't have to just barely make it and say, I don't know, just holding on, waiting for Jesus to come back. We are waiting for him to come back, but we're waiting for him to come back as a triumphant church, ready to make a mark on our world because he's promised us life. Our issue is that we often have no passion. See, what I've discovered is this, is that passion is the common denominator between most folks who's, who accomplish something significant for God. It's not that the common denominator is not their talent level. It's not their skill level. It's not their race. It's, it's, not, it's not their looks. It, is, it has nothing to do with that. If you trace back through history and you find people who have accomplished something that changed history, the common denominator in their life is passion. For instance, it was passion that drove David to face off against a giant that he really had no logical chance of defeating. It was passion that caused the three Hebrew children to face an egomaniac king and say, we will not bow bow to your idol. We refuse to do it. It was passion. It wasn't their looks. It wasn't their talent. It wasn't their ability. They were just passionate about God. It was passion that drove Jesus to defend his father's house against the money changers. He was so passionate about his father. You go into our, our days and our history and we realize that it was passion that drove George Whitfield. He, he w- would get up every day and he would preach 9 to 16 times a week for 34 straight years. He did that. 9 to 16 times a week he would preach somewhere. Even though the entire time he was doing that, he was critically ill. He was sick all the time, but he would force himself out of bed to go preach and declare the gospel 9 to 16 times a week. And we can't share our faith around the water cooler once a week. Boy, I got mean all of a sudden, didn't I? It's just the truth. You, you realize that men like Charles Spurgeon once turned down $50,000. Somebody uh, called him up and said, if you'll come speak at our university and do one lecture, we'll pay you $50,000. You know what his response was? No, I would rather stay home and try to win 50 souls. How many of us are willing to turn things down in an oppor- for the opportunity to win somebody to Jesus? He turned down $50,000. It was passion that drove John Wesley to preach three times a day for 54 years and travel 200,000 miles by horseback to declare the word of the Lord. Wesley said it like this. I think he had the concept of passion down. Because Wesley said this. He said, if you don't have anything to die for, you've never lived. See, what would cause people to, to want to come attend a brand new church, leave, leave their families and their friends and tried and true churches all over Oklahoma City? What would cause them to want to be a part of what we started here nine months ago? It's not my looks, I can guarantee you. It's not my hairline because I don't have much of one. It's not my abilities. It's not my skills. It's not the worship team skills, as good as they are. Let me tell you the one thing that sets us apart or should set us apart, passion. We must be passionate passion is defined as this an intense emotion compelling action it's a strong devotion to some object activity or concept notice if you will that passion is not just emotion it is an emotion it's this intense compelling feeling inside of you this sense of urgency inside of you but it requires action in other words, what I'm saying to you is I don't want you to just, just to get to the point that you're so hyped about God that, that you're bouncing off the walls, but then you never do anything about God. 
I don't want you to get so excited about Passion Church and come in here and dance yourself silly, but never leave here and do anything with that excitement. Passion requires us to take action. we got to do something with what we've experienced. Why? Because passion is the difference between winning and losing. Do you understand right now the NBA playoffs are going on that it is not always the most skilled team that wins? Do you understand that when football starts, there will be underdogs that beat teams that on paper are better than them, are stronger than them, are faster than them, are more gifted than than them? Why? Because the difference between winning and losing is passion. The difference between us being a world-changing church and a mediocre church will be one thing, our passion. The difference between you winning anybody to Jesus or just live working a nine-to-five job and doing nothing for God is passion. You must have passion. We like to say around here, you can't live without passion. Because the truth is, is if you don't have any passion, you listen to what happens if you don't have any passion. You will live and you will die. That's it. But if you have passion, you will live and you will make a radical difference in the world around you. Why do we need passion? What does passion do for us? What what does it accomplish for us? The first thing I'd say to you is this. It changes us. If you're a passionate individual, it will change everything about you. One of the perfect examples is if, if you're driving down the road, and I'm going to date myself, and I can't think of a new car off the top of my head to do this. Well, let's do motorcycles. If you're driving down the road, and you see one of the West Coast choppers that is all customized and is for sale, and you go and look at the price tag, and it kind of drops your jaw and go, I paid less for my house than this motorcycle, but I've got to have this motorcycle. It's the mo- I'll be the coolest. I know I'm 45 years old and overweight and don't have any hair, and I'm going to look funny in chaps, but, but if I could just get this motorcycle, it would change my world. How many you know if you become truly passionate about that motorcycle it will change everything you'll quit going to starbucks you'll quit eating you, you you'll go mow your yard and then mow your neighbor's yard and then demand that they pay you 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 will go wash cars at walmart and say it's a free car wash and take up donations you will auction off your oldest child if you have to just so you can get the money and the finances necessary to get that motorcycle because if you are passionate about something it changes you. It changes your priorities. It changes your agendas. It changes your spending habits. It will change how you live. One man said it like this. He said, a passionate man is a driven man. Passionate people don't sleep in every day. They get up and go to work and make a difference. Passionate people don't waste money on things that they're not passionate about. We become passionate about that thing and it changes us. We don't just float through life. So we need to be passionate so that we will be changed. But the second thing it does, it not only changes us, it changes others. You cannot come into contact with people who are passionate and not be changed. Can I prove it to you? Jesus. If you come into contact with Jesus, you will be changed. There's no way that you can come into contact with him and not be changed. Everybody that came into contact with Jesus was changed. Why? Because he was passionate. People around Martin Luther King Jr. were changed. Not just because he was a great speaker. They were changed because of his passion. He had a dream. And that dream drove him. And it changed the people around him. Those are positive examples. Let me give you some negative examples. And just prove my point. People who were around Jim Jones. 
for those of you who are a little older, were changed. It was for a negative change, but they were changed. For you that are younger, maybe I should say David Koresh. Because even though he was wacko in Waco and out of his mind and was, was insane and, and, and all that, the reality was when people came into contact with him, they were changed because of his passionate. So what I'm saying to you this morning is this, is, is if people can come into contact with you and they're not changed, it might say something about your passion level. We need to examine how passionate we are again. The third thing it does this is this. It draws, it draws people and sets us apart. Jesus could draw a crowd. So he must have probably, most likely, was probably movie star good looking, right? I mean, he was so phenomenally handsome that just people flocked to him and wanted to hear what he said, right? No. The Bible says this in Isaiah chapter 53 verse 2. It says that he had no beauty or majesty that should attract us to him. He was average at best. Well, that blows the pictures you've seen hanging in the churches, doesn't it? He probably had pimples and come on now. He was average at best. And yet he could draw a crowd because his passion drew people. I hate to break your heart this morning and burst your bubble. But most of you, including me, will never draw a crowd by our looks. <gasps> I hate to, to disappoint you, but most of us will never be able to draw a crowd because of our talents and abilities. As talented as you are, there is somebody out there that's better than you. So it's not our abilities and it's not our look. It's not even our intellect. I know that you know all the, the chemistry and the, the physics and you can explain why, why the world was created and you're the smartest thing and you're off the IQ charts and all that kind of stuff. But the reality this morning is this. Nobody's going to be drawn to how smart you are. Nobody's going to be drawn to our lights. Nobody's going to be drawn to our smoke. Nobody's going to be drawn to our nice tile out in the lobby as much as we like it. Nobody's going to be drawn to our slick programming or our nice printed pieces. People will be drawn by our passion. People are looking for passionate people to hang around. It sets us apart. How many of you know you can always tell the passionate people at a ball game? Right? They're the ones with their shirt off and their bellies painted blue and 32 below zero weather. Right? But did you know you can walk into a church service and you don't have to dress weird and do your hair weird and you can, you can spot passionate people just like that because it sets us apart? They're the ones when everybody else is going through the motions, they're the one that's really encountering God. When everybody else is just there biding time, they're the ones that stand out like a sore thumb because they're pursuing God with everything in them. It's not how high you raise your hands. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying you can tell when people are passionate because it draws us to them and it sets us apart. I want you to be different than everybody else. You're not supposed to fit in anyway. Be different. Be passionate. The fourth thing that it does, and this is so crucial, and this is why I chose this topic this morning, is because passion will keep you from sin. Did you know I, 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 didn't, I started to preach about God make us holy. That would be my one prayer. God make us righteous. And I suddenly realized I don't have to ask God to make us holy and righteous if I ask God to make us passionate. Because if you're passionate about God, you won't sin. Well, that went over huge. Let me put it like this. If you're passionate about God, I don't have to worry about you being at home looking at pornography on your computer. 
Because your passion for God will draw you into his presence. You go, no, I love God so much. And I remember, it's an intense emotion that compels us to action. I love you so much that the action is I couldn't even fathom doing that because I know it would break your heart. I don't have to worry about you cheating on your wife or your husband if you're passionate about them. Because if you're passionate about them, you wouldn't dare do anything to hurt them. I don't have to worry about you talking about somebody in this room and backbiting and gossiping about one another if you're really passionate about one another as brothers and sisters in Christ. Because if you're passionate about one another, you will do everything that you can possibly do to guard one another and hold one another up, not tear each other down. Passion keeps us from sinning. So we've got to be consumed by passion instead of being consumed by everything else. The reason we sin is because we become so consumed by everything else that we fail to allow the the passion of God to consume us. I'm telling you again this morning, this is my prayer, this is my plea. God, make us passionate again. Make us passionate again. My prayer would not be make us passionate if I hadn't come to this conclusion. Most of us are not very passionate. It would be useless for me to say, God, make us passionate if I, if I thought you were all full of passion, if I thought I was all full of passion. But the reality that I, and the conclusion that I've come to is this. I think that most of us are not very passionate. Or, and we'll get to this in a minute, in a minute, we're passionate about the wrong things. And so if I've come to this conclusion that we don't have passion and we're passionless people, what causes us to lose our zeal for God and the fire of God in our hearts and lives. What causes that to happen? Real quickly. The first thing I think that causes that is this. We allow the precious to become familiar. That'll steal your passion every time. In other words, if you come to church and you really don't expect anything. Ooh, it got real quiet now. Come on now. You know as well as I do that a lot of us come to church and never really expect God to do anything. We're just doing this because we've always done this or this is what, quote, good Christians are supposed to do. And so we walk in these doors and we never really expect God to do anything and we get what we expect. No passion. Or if we walk in here and we have become so used to the presence of God and, and, the, and an encounter with God that when these guys get up here and they do the phenomenal job that they always do, we stand here and we allow worship to become humdrum and we just go through the motions. I've heard that song before. I've heard that beat before. I've heard that rhythm before. I've felt these goosebumps before. And so I just don't really encounter God again. When we allow the precious to become familiar We lose our passion. I can prove it to you out of the Old Testament. The Bible says that Uzzah had the Ark of God, the Ark of the Covenant in his house for 20 years. He was, Uzzah had the presence of God right in his own house. Every morning when he woke up and ate his Wheaties, he did it in the presence of God. Every afternoon when he watched Oprah, he did it. I don't know if you can do that in the presence of God, but he did it in the presence of God. Every evening when he got ready to go to bed, he did it in the presence of God for 20 years. Until one day they began to move the Ark of the Covenant and it began to fall. And because he had allowed the precious to become familiar, it was just another piece of furniture. It's like my TV armoire. I'm used to it. I can touch it. I can dust it off. But no, this is the presence of God right here. But he had allowed it to become familiar to him and it cost him his life. And my question to you this morning is what has your lack of passion cost you? Because it will always cost you. 
The second thing that costs us our passion is this. We become concerned about acceptance and approval. When we want to fit in and we want everybody to brag about us and we want everybody to like us and we want everybody to think that we're cool and we don't want to offend anybody, we want to be accepted and everybody to think we're the best thing that ever happened, we will instantly lose our passion because we will sell out. And we will refuse to radically worship. We will refuse to radically witness. We will refuse to radically live. Because if we do that, we might offend somebody. And they won't want to spend time around us. They'll think we're a freak. You're a freak anyway. Whether you acknowledge it or not, you're a freak. Because that's who God's made us to be. Peculiar people. We're not supposed to fit in. We're supposed to be different. You are not called to be in the clique. You are not called to be in the club. You are called to be different. Quit trying to fit in. You can't get everybody to accept you. You can't get everybody to approve of you. Peter Wagner says this, and I think this is so true. He said that Pentecostal churches and people must guard against the demon of respectability. What happens is Pentecostal people, usually churches that are filled with Pentecostal people, start on the wrong side of the tracks. Because they don't have any money and they don't have any resources. And then all of a sudden as they become established over a period of time, they suddenly get some money and so they move to the right side of the tracks and they lose their power because they want to fit in and they don't want to be seen as those people on the wrong side of the tracks. I want to tell you this morning, we are not called at Passion Church to fit in. We're not called to be like every other church. We're not called to be like all the rest of the Christians in Oklahoma City. We are called to be passionate about God and the power that He gives us. That's why we called it Passion Church. Are we going to live up to our name or not? Does the name fit or not? We cannot be worried about acceptance. Here's the third thing I've realized and learned as I've, well, let me tell you the point and then you'll understand. This is what I've learned. Apathy increases with age. Most of us, when we're young, are very, very passionate. We don't think anything can hurt us. We don't think that anything can stop us. I can conquer the world. The problem is is that as we get older, we lose our passion and we become apathetic. I can prove it. I learned this valuable lesson, and of all places, on a ski slope. I was 29 years old. It was the first time I'd ever, maybe the second time I'd ever been skiing. I had the long skis on, you know, the ones you're not supposed to go very fast on. And I was trying to learn, and I was just going a little slow. I'd go about 25 feet and stop and catch my breath and go, whew, this is hard. This is dangerous. I'd go about 25 more feet and stop, and I'd get my breath, and I I was making my way down the beginner slope like that, when all of a sudden I see this blur. And I go, And down at the bottom of the hill I see a three-year-old go, and stop his sleeves to look back, or his skis to look back up at me. Little skis about that long, and I started picking up rocks and throwing them at. No, I didn't really do that. I wanted to. When the Holy Spirit spoke to me right on that ski slope, and He said, "That's the difference." between people who are passionate and those who have lost their passion. As you've gotten older, you've lost your passion. you become apathetic. And I bring that to your attention this morning as a church, as a body of believers, as Passion Church. Hear me very carefully. We're coming up on our one-year anniversary in August. And if we are not careful, we will start playing it safe. We've got too much to lose. We, we, might, we might offend some people. We might lose our stability. We might not do the right things, and we won't take the risks and the chances that God is calling. I'm going to tell you what, in the fall, we're going to take some risks. In the fall, we're making some decisions and make some preparation. I'm not even going to tell you what they are. I'm just going to tell you to hold on, buckle your seatbelt, because some of you, because of apathy, are going to say, we don't need to do that. 
We're doing all right where we are. We're doing all right how we are. We don't need to change anything. We don't need to adjust anything. If we're not careful, apathy will increase with age, and we won't accomplish the will and purpose of God. So we lose our passion. So how do we get our passion back? I think the first step is just what we're doing this morning, one prayer. We've got to pray and ask God to make us passionate again. Let me say this to you this morning. I want you to take the next five weeks. There's five Sundays in June. I want you to take this month, and if you will please join me, I want you to begin to pray. How many of you pray about Passion Church? Come on. Come on. I'm not going to. Okay, some of you. I didn't even want you to raise your hand because I knew some of you might be embarrassed. I know you've been praying for your dog and your grandma and your car and your job. But can I get you just to stop for five weeks at some point in a week and begin to call out on God and say, God, make us passionate. That's our one prayer. We've got to go back and pray, God, make us passionate. How many of you know that the proof of desire is in pursuit? If you really want something bad enough, you will pursue it. We must pursue God and say, God, make us passionate again. The second thing we must do is return to our first love. Apathy is made up of two Latin words. The, the, the word A means without and pathos means love apathy without love we lose when we lose our love we lose our passion and so jesus talked about in the new testament about the cares of life choking our life out and what i am saying to you is we've got to go back and go start back where we first were we got to go back and find our first love again how many of you remember what it was like to get saved the first time we need to go back in our mind in our hearts and in our spirit and go back and, and remember what that was like and refocus our attention and our priorities on the things that really matter and become passionate again. Remember last week I told you that one of the top ten survival tips was this. You get rid of the non-essentials out of your life. Non-essentials will steal your passion. You'll burn up all your passion on things that don't matter. I am calling you to get rid of all that stuff and go back to your first love again and love God like you've never loved Him before. The third thing that will get your passion back is when you begin to activate your spiritual gifts. When you begin to do things that you're called to do, fire starts. Always. That's why I want to say this to you very, very, very plainly. You were not called to come to Passion Church to sit and sour. You have spiritual gifts in you that if you would activate them, it would start a fire in you. In other words, I am saying to you, you can't be self-centered and have passion. You've got to use your spiritual gifts and impact others and minister to others. And when you do that, something happens. I had a young lady in one of my youth ministries who was depressed and she would always talk about killing herself and all this kind of stuff. And, and I took her on a missions trip to Guatemala. And one summer I watched her as she knelt down in a city dump, 5,000 families living in that dump. And she picked up a little girl and she began to love on that little girl. And when she began to activate her spiritual gifts, something unique happened. When we got back, she never talked about killing herself again. Why? She had activated her spiritual gifts of mercy. And she suddenly realized there's somebody out there that's in worse shape than I am. And I've got something I give my life to. And I've got somebody. When you do that, it will change your life. Passionate people don't struggle to get out of bed. They're activating their spiritual gifts. And, and it causes them to be excited about what God's doing. And then the last thing that helps us get our passion back is this. Associate with people of passion. Too many of us hang around fire fighters now if you're a fireman in the house i'm not talking about the station you work at 
I am saying that too many of us on too many occasions allow people to stomp out our fire. How many of you have ever been around people that, this is going to be a unique statement, how many of you have ever been around people that poo-poo on your dreams? You know God's called you something. You know God is something significant for you. You've got a dream. You've got a plan. You're ready to give your life for it. And somebody, if you're not careful, usually those closest to us, because they see you in the morning without your makeup on, and they see you at night when you're in a bad attitude, and they come along and they try to put out your fire. But if you will hang around people who are people of passion that are pushing you and have big dreams and have vision and, and are constantly chasing after the things of God, do you know what happens? It rubs off. Apathy rubs off. Passion rubs off. So if you don't have any passion, you might want to check who you've been hanging with. Because some of you have been hanging with people who are trying to put out your fire. You need to cut off some folks and say, uh-uh, if I hang around you too long, I'll be dead. Some of you need to make some new friends. Get around somebody that will push you to be everything. It doesn't have to be the army. Did you catch that? Yeah, okay, I just wanted to make sure you're awake. You need to get around some folks that will push you to be everything that you can be in God. When they see you sloughing off, They'll go, ah, uh-uh, you're better than that. How many of you had a teacher like that? When you brought the C in, she said, no, no, push it back across the table, take it home and do it again. Why? Because you're an A student, you're not a C student. That's the kind of people we need in our lives. I need somebody pushing me saying, Steve, you, you did this right, but you could have done it better. Because how many of you know we will always go to the easiest path? The path of least resistance. The easiest way, that's what we'll always do. Anybody know what mediocre means? Halfway up the mountain. The, the, the best of the worst and the worst of the best. Anybody want to be mediocre in a house? Then quit hanging around people that are mediocre. You've got to get somebody in your life that will push you. So that's how we get our passion back. So here's the crux of the whole thing right here. If we're going to be people of passion, we've got to allow our passion to be about the right things. Because if your passion is consumed by the wrong things, you won't have any passion left for the things that matter. For instance, if all your passion is wrapped up in that car you wash every Saturday, you won't have any passion left for anything else. If your passion is wrapped up in the clothes you wear, you won't have passion for anything else. If your passion is wrapped up in your job, you won't have passion for anything else. And I want to make it very clear for you this morning, there are only four things that should consume our passion. When it really comes down to it, these are the four important things. Number one, God. Didn't even get one amen on that. That's kind of scary. Our passion ought to be about God. We ought to be consumed by passion for God. In fact, in the Old Testament, uh, one of Aaron's sons, uh, Fina has in Numbers chapter 25, verse 13, this is what it says about him. It says, he and his descendants will have a covenant of a lasting priesthood. Why? Because he was zealous for the honor of his God. That ought to be said about us. People should not be able to come into conversation with you and for very long and, and, and they, they meet you for the first time or maybe you've known them for months. They shouldn't be able to talk to you week in and week out and never hear anything about God. How's the weather? The weather's great, man. It was hot today. How'd you do fishing? I did good. Did you get a new car? Yeah, I got a new car. Did you cut your yard? Yeah, I cut my yard. Did, where's God? 
We've got to be so passionate about God again that He consumes us so that He fills not only our lives, He fills our conversations. Passionate about God. Our, our passion should show up uh, for God, not just at church. I know you're passionate about God here, but are you passionate to God about God out there? We've got to become so passionate about God that it consumes our daily life. You ought to be just as passionate about God at Starbucks as you are in Passion Church. You ought to be just as passionate about God at the bowling alley as you are at Passion Church. I'm not saying you go down the lane doing this. I am saying that this passion, this intense emotion, that every moment of your life you are consumed by this need and this expectation that God is in my life and He's here and He's got a plan and a purpose and He wants me to do something. We've got to become passionate about God again. Too many of us have a take it or leave it mentality when it comes to God. The second thing that we've got to be passionate about is this, our family. See, we think God... It ought to be God and then church. I'm going to get to church in a second. But God instituted the family before he instituted the church. We've got to become consumed for passion for our family again so that we're not more consumed about our car than we are our kids. We're not more consumed about our, our work than we are our wife. We are called to be passionate about our family. We shouldn't be so consumed by everything else that we don't have any time left or emotions left or zeal left for our families. If you win everybody else in the world to Jesus and your own family splits hell wide open, I think God is going to be disappointed. Parents, we've got to become passionate about our children loving and knowing God again. That means you've got to require them to read the Word whether they want to or not. They're kids. What if they wanted to eat Snickers three times a day for every meal? Would you let them do it? What if they wanted to play with a rattlesnake? Would you let them do it? No, you're the parent. The same thing is true on the opposite end. You know what's right for them. They don't need to watch Scooby-Doo 24 hours a day. At some point, they need to open the Word of God and get to learn it and into their spirit. We've got to become passionate again. Kids, we ought to be passionate about our parents. The Bible says we obey and respect our parents. We get to live a long time and then take care of them. Right? You ought to be passionate about your parents. God has placed them in your life to protect you. They are a protection of God over you. That means you don't diss mom and dad because they don't like what you're doing. You respect them. You abide. Oh, man, this is radical. You abide by their rules. I didn't get one amen from parents. Come on, parents. I'm just telling we got to become passionate again. Where we'll kill for our families. We'll die for our families. We'll fight hell for our families. Some of them prayed for your own kids in months. You're expecting the prayer team to do it. By the way, we have prayer tomorrow night. Prayer team will be here at 7 o'clock. But we want everybody else to pray for our own families. We won't pray. We've got to become passionate about our family. Third, we've got to become passionate about church. David says this. He says, zeal for your house consumes me. That's a novel concept. The lake consumes us. Disney World consumes us. 
But the zeal for God's house consume us. Where I, I want you to take vacation. I'm getting ready to take one. I want you to go get some time off. It's, it's beneficial. It's God's plan for you. But let me tell you what. Just on a normal Sunday when you're not out of town, something ought to get you out of bed and get you to church. Because there should be a zeal that consumes you where you understand, I need to be in the house of God. I need to be in fellowship. That's why David, uh, he understood this. He, he understood that when we get into the house of God, it refreshes us. It, it doesn't matter if the preacher preaches good or not. It doesn't matter if the worship team's off key or not. There's something about it when we come into the presence of God and into each other's presence, it refreshes us and renews us. That's why David could say, one, one day in your presence is better than a thousand elsewhere. He understood this concept. Let me just say this. I, I keep hearing this, and I've even said it, and I've had to repent. We keep saying, well, we're just busier now than what they used to be. No. I, I Honestly, my dad and mom took me to every ball game I played in. They, they, were just, they both worked. They were just as busy as we are. We've just lost our passion for the house of God. Everything else takes priority. And I am saying to you that, let me, can, can I tell you, Jesus is a great example. Can I tell you what really needs to happen when we start talking about church? Hang with me now. I'm almost done. Just hang with me. You know what we need to do when we start talking about church? We need to get the should out. I should go to church. Should I go to church? Or maybe I shouldn't go to church. Should I pay tithes? I don't think I should pay tithes. Should I hang out with Christians? No, I don't think I... Jesus said, I must. When he was... 12 years old, he understood this concept and he said, I must be about my father's business. Some of you just need to get the should out of your life and quit saying, maybe I should do this. And you need to go, no, I must attend church. I must pay my tithes. I must have fellowship. I must spend my time with good Christian folks. I must read my Bible. I must do what God tells me to do. And the fourth thing that we need to be passionate about is the lost obvious but what happens is we allow people to come in and they preach emotional messages and we're pulled at the heartstring we see starving children and we see dying people and we get emotional and there's an, a, an emotion that happens but it never compels action did you know right now that 95% of North American Christians will never personally lead someone to Christ. 95%. Did you know that 80% of those who are won to Christ in a personal witnessing situation are won by people who have been saved less than one year? How many have been saved more than a year? So the chances are 80% of the people that are going to get saved this year won't be because of you. That ought to bother you. Did you know that 17.5% of the population in America this morning got up and went to church? 17.5%. That's pathetic. Did you know that only 1% of evangelical churches are winning the unsaved? Did you know that 85% of all churches in America are plateaued or or are declining? 85%. Did you know that the average church in the United States wins one person per year while they spend $123,000 in their annual budget? Keeping the saints satisfied, 
keeping the air conditioner at the right temperature so nobody will complain, getting the carpet color just right so grandma will be satisfied, getting the music loud enough so the teenager will come, and we win one person per year. And we go, well, we're in a postmodern generation. They don't want to hear about God and all this stuff. Really? Did you know that there are 15,000 people a month in the United States converting to Islam? You know what the difference is? Passion. Those that believe in Islam are so passionate about it, they'll fly planes into our buildings. And we won't drive next door. Islam, uh, Islamics are so, so passionate that they'll give their life to convert. They'll go to the prisons, find a captive audience and win them and convert them to Islam. And we wouldn't think about going to prison to tell somebody about Jesus. Don't you know there's, there's convicts in there? Duh. Come on, folks. Let's get real here. People are looking for something to believe in, but they will only believe in a cause that people are willing to die for. Why should I give my life for something that you aren't willing to die for? We must become passionate about the lost. It is an intense emotion that compels us to action. Hear me this morning. Hear my heart. It should bother you if you haven't won somebody to Jesus this year. It should bother you. You ought to lay awake at night going, i got to find somebody I can witness to and win them to Jesus. It ought to consume us. There's an old story about two men walking through a forest, and as they're walking along, they sense something's watching them, and they're kind of nervous and unnerved a little bit, and they're walking, and finally one of them looks up over his shoulder, and coming around the ridge up above them, there's a mountain lion, and he goes, Dave, Dave, stand still. There's a mountain lion back there. And when Dave looks around and sees the mountain lion, he, he runs over to a stump and he sits down and he begins to take his shoes off. And the guy behind him goes, man, you're crazy. What are you doing? And, they, and he said, just leave me alone. And he, he's taking off his hiking boots and he's putting on tennis shoes. And, and the guy in the back goes, Dave, are you nuts, man? You can't outrun a mountain lion. And hear what Dave says because this is where most of us are. He goes, I don't have to outrun, outrun a mountain lion. I just have to outrun you. Right? Okay. Funny. But isn't that how most of us feel about people who are lost? I'm saved. I'm going to heaven. Who cares about the rest of them? Who cares that there's more people in this one square mile of apartments than anywhere else in Oklahoma City? We're in the most densely populated area of Oklahoma City, and we don't care. Passion. We must be passionate about God, our family, our church, and our lost. The lost out there that need what you... How many of you know that Jesus is good? Right? Well, if he's that good, don't you think we ought to try to give him to somebody else? Because don't... Isn't that what we do? We go to a great restaurant. Like mine is... I found this little pizza place in Bethany. I'll tell you, it's the best, best pizza. Man, I'm, I hope I get endorsements out of this. Papa Angelo's, I'm going to send him the CD, is the best pizza in Oklahoma City. You can't find better pizza anywhere. I don't talk about hideaway. I might get endorsements from them too. Talk about All-American. Listen, the best pizza in Oklahoma City, bar none, is Papa Angelo's. And I've told everybody I can tell about Papa Angelo's. Why do we do that about restaurants and we won't do that about Jesus? He's the best God there is. In fact, He's the only 
God that there is. He's the only one that is my peace, that is my banner, that produces victory in my life, that is Jehovah Jireh, that is my provider. He is the only one that is, is all of that and everything else. I don't want to give him away to somebody. I want you to stand with me this morning. We're going to pray and ask God for one thing. If I knew there was one thing that God could do, this is what I would pray. Make us passionate. Dr. Beecham, I want you to come back, if you will. Tari, I want you to join me. Jamie, is she, will you come here, Jamie? And i got to have one more. Let's see, God, family, church, and the lost. Let me do this. I'll pray for family. I want God to touch my own family. All right? We're going to just pray this way. And I, I, listen, I know what happens. We, we want to listen to everybody else pray. I want you to pray. This is our prayer. We're going to pray this. Tari, you're going to pray, God, make us passionate about you again. I'm going to pray, God, make us passionate about our families again. Jamie, you're going to pray for making us passionate about church. Dr. Beecham, you're going to pray for making us passionate about the lost. All right? Let's pray together this morning. Father God, we thank and we praise you because you're King of kings and you're Lord of lords. And we thank you for the awesome responsibility to be your children. We thank you, Father God, for the passion that you gave to us, the passion that you showed to us by giving your son, Father God, is that same passion that we will show to others, Father God. Not that we want to, Father God, not that we have to because we need to, Father God. We know that that same passion that you showed to us, that you gave to us is the same passion and love and compassion that we have to give to others, Father God. We thank you that we're going to be reachable, Father God, that Jesus was reachable as he came to us. He became us so we could save us, Father God. We know that we have to be reachable to the people. We can't be so consumed, Father God, in our own being, but we have to be consumed with the love that you've given unto us. We thank you as that passion, Father God, has given unto the people that they will see you, that as we lift you up and make you known, Father God, that you will draw the people unto you. And we know that passion, Father God, will live through Oklahoma City, through through Oklahoma, throughout the United States. And as we gather as one group and as one family, Father God, that we know that your people will come to you, that the loss will come to you. We have to know, Father God, that the love that you have given unto us is the same love, Father God, that we have to give to everybody else. Make that passion live within us. And we thank you for that love that you have given it to us and we can show to others. Father, we pray for our families this morning. God, I refuse to let a put all the responsibility on a youth pastor, a junior high pastor, a kid's church worker to win my children to you. God, I refuse to let a school system mold my children in the way that they think, the way that they believe. God, I take uh, take my responsibility as a parent and I ask you that you would allow me to be so passionate about my own children that I'll get up in the middle of the night if I have to to pray over them that I will require them to learn the word of the Lord because it is the word of the Lord that produces freedom in them. God, I pray in the name of Jesus that I would become passionate about my wife so that I don't look at another woman. I don't fantasize about another woman. I am so passionate about my own wife that my whole world is wrapped up in her. God, I pray that for all of us and our spouses, God, we would be passionate about them. And Father, I pray for every teenager in this room that they would become passionate about their families. 
that they wouldn't rebel. We come against this lie that they have to rebel when they become teenagers. No, they can be godly young men and women standing before God. And they can be prayer warriors in their house right now. And they can win their parents to the Lord if they're not saved. God, make us passionate for our families. Let us put up a hedge of protection called prayer around our families so that the enemy cannot come in. As for me and my house... We will serve the Lord. Make us passionate for our families again. And we'll praise you for it in Jesus' name. Oh, Lord, draw us into your presence, Lord. God, I pray, Lord, right now, God, that you would just stir up a passion inside of us to be to be with this body, Lord, to be at church, Lord, not, we, not just because we're afraid we'd miss something, but, Lord, so that we could get into your presence with our brothers and sisters. Lord, I pray, God, that we would run to you, Lord, that if we would put everything else aside, Lord, no matter what, that we would protect that time, Lord, that we need to be at your church in your presence with this body, Lord. I lift up this specific body to you, Lord, and I pray, God, Lord, that you would stir up a passion in each of us, Lord. God, Lord, that we would just begin to sense a mighty purpose in this place, Lord, and a mighty passion, God. Oh, Lord, teach us. Take us out, Lord. Take us out that we would do your work as a church, Lord. Take us out, Lord, to those that you would have us put people in our paths, Lord, that we would be able to minister to them, God. Give us a love. A love like that first love, Lord. A love like that first, Lord, when we were when we were very first saved, Lord, and we couldn't be at church enough. God, put that passion inside of us. Put that passion inside of us, Lord. Give us a love for each other. Unify this body, Lord, and make us as one. Jesus. Jesus, this morning we remember that you came to seek and save the lost. We remember that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Like the Apostle Paul, we remember that the love of Christ compels us. So we ask, O Lord, that a passion for you will result in a passion for the people that you died for that you die for us even when we were sinners. We pray that you will give us grace to see to see those around us as you see them. We lift up to you the billions around the world who have never heard. People who've never even heard the name of Jesus, we lift them to you. And we pray the Lord of the harvest that there will arise in this generation a heart and a passion to go to the ends of the earth using using the incredible technology of this century. But Lord, we also pray for right here in Oklahoma City, from the north, the south, the east, and the west, particularly the spheres of influence that are around each of us. We pray you'll give us grace to recognize opportunities. We may not, not be so, so focused on our own agendas that we miss your agenda. Make us sensitive to the need of the person in the line at Crest, to the need of the person when we're there on the long delays now of getting fuel. May our hearts not be filled with our own frustrations, but may we sense the needs of others. Lord, I pray for your Holy Spirit to stir something in this house because only you can birth that. 
We are by nature, Lord, self-focused. Come, Holy Spirit, and by your grace and by your word, break through that and enable the love of Jesus to be evident out of Passion Church. In the holy name of Jesus, we pray. And now, Father, we pray for all these thousands of churches that are doing one prayer this month. God, I just pray for the, for the church universal right now that you would make us passionate again. Father, we wouldn't just be marked by slickness and by marketing and by branding and all that stuff. That we wouldn't be marked by apathy and legalism and division and strife. But Father, our passion would unify us. And Father, this morning I pray in particular for the churches right here in Oklahoma City that are taking part of one prayer. God, I pray for Life Church this morning and thousands of people that they have influence over. I pray that they would become unified in prayer with us this morning. God, I pray for Church of the Harvest this morning. I pray for North Church and Northview Church and Cathedral of Praise and New Church. And I pray for all these churches, God, that are combining efforts right here in our community. Unify us, oh God. Make us passionate about you, O oh God. Let your passion invade our churches and our lives and our community and this city and our state and our world. God, let it happen in the name of Jesus. Let it start here and carry out to there. And Father, we'll praise you for these things in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name, turn to your neighbor and say, you can't live without passion. Come on, tell somebody else, you can't live without passion. I want you to passionately love on somebody before you dismiss this morning. Let them know how much you appreciate them. Hang around with people of passion. Don't let them put your fire out. You're dismissed. God bless you. We'll see you next week. It's been a privilege to have you join us for this time of ministry. To find more Passion Church resources or to make a donation online, visit www.passionchurch.tv. Remember, you can't live without passion.